Right. Thank you. So as you can see, the wisdom that the teacher, Ecclesiastes, wants to give us, the wisdom he wants to give us, is only going to be through confronting hard truths about life and reality. Let's pray that God might soften our hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't shy to tell us the truth, to say it like it is through the teacher in this book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you for this book and we pray that through it you teach us wisdom, that you teach us how to live well in this world that you've given us. Amen. So the aim of this evening is to disillusion you. I've always found the word disillusion a bit strange because usually we mean something bad. If, if you're disillusioned, that's usually a bad thing. You're discouraged. You've been betrayed. You've been disappointed in some way. That's how it's generally understood. But I want to take the word literally tonight. I want to disillusion you. Disillusion. I want you to be freed from the illusions, the lies that keep you from living well in the world. Okay? I want to disillusion you. So it's, I'm using it in that positive way. So an example is, um, I don't know if you knew this, but the government has set up a website. It's called scamwatch.gov.au to keep us from getting scammed. Now, I was looking at this website and I came across a story that's a very common story. It was entitled, My Sister Lost $20,000 Looking for Love. It's a very common tale. Somebody, in this case a young girl, is contacted via Facebook. The person claimed to be in the US military in Afghanistan. A relationship develops over time and the person in Afghanistan needs funds to visit this young girl in Australia. So funds are sent. And then barriers come up so that he can't come across until she sends more funds. And so she sends more funds. Until she send, uh, sends, in total, $20,000. If only that young girl, lady, was disillusioned before spending the $20,000. That the aim of this passage is to show the illusions for what they really are. And it's really important that we see the illusions for what they are, because if we don't, we'll waste our lives chasing after wind. Really important, especially as we're young, to see the illusions for what they are. So last week, we started our time in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's a fascinating book. It's fascinating. It, it takes you by the scruff of the neck, this book, and sort of presses you up against the window of life and forces you to look at life, no matter how hard it is to look at. And as Terry said last week, it's a wisdom book. There are a few wisdom books in the Bible. And the wisdom books are all about helping us acquire wisdom. And wisdom is all about living well in, in the world. So the aim of this book is to make you wiser so that you live better in this world that God's created, in this fascinating, wondrous, sometimes very confusing world that we live in. So the aim is to help you live well in God's world. And... Turn with me to chapter 1, verse 2 of the book. So we looked at this last week. In chapter 1, verse 2 of this book, it really summarizes the teacher's main conviction. It, this conviction pervades the whole book. You, you, sort of, you see it surface again and again in this book. And 
underlying verse 2 of chapter 1 is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is hebel. The, the word hebel, it, it's a Hebrew word that's quite hard to translate. It's got all these different sort of aspects of meaning. So here are a few of the aspects of meaning that hebel has. And the NIV, the Bibles that we have before us, have used the, the word meaningless to translate hebel. But I don't think that's the best word to use. I don't think it's getting at the meaning of the teacher here. So, chapter 1, verse 2, it's on page 571 of the Bibles, if you haven't opened it. I'm going to translate the word hebel with the words mist and vapor. Okay, so this is his underlying conviction. The teacher's underlying conviction is mist and vapor, says the teacher. Mist and vapor. Everything is mist and vapor. It's quite a conviction. Quite a sort of intriguing conviction. So let's, let's jump into today's passage. Chapter 1, verse 12. And it says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under the heavens. So here we have the teacher. He's king over Jerusalem. He's got wisdom. He's known for his wisdom. And he's going to do the hard work for us. He's going to perform a big experiment. So as king, he's got the means to perform this experiment. He's got the money to apply himself in this experiment. And he's got the wisdom, like I said, to govern him in this, in this experiment. And the experiment is all about trying to work out what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of our lives. Okay, this is really important. The experiment is all about trying to work out how we should best spend our days. It's really important that experiment the teacher's going to be performing for us. So, the first item under the microscope. Is it worth chasing pleasure? Pleasure with the few days of our lives. Chapter 2, verse 1. Is it worth chasing pleasure? So I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be fleeting, mist and vapor. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. So just the other day, I returned from shopping. And as soon as I opened my boot, it was a windy day. One of the, uh, my bags had the docket on top and the docket went flying. And so I had a moment of decision, should I go chasing this docket or not? Um, and then I had a vision of our pristine coastline and I thought, oh no, I don't want this docket to end up on our coastline. So I thought, I'll go for it. I'm going to grab this docket. And so you can imagine the wind was blowing the docket left and right and I was trying to chase it. And I kept on like, trying to stamp my foot and I kept on missing it. And I eventually got it, you'll be pleased to know. Chasing pleasure is like chasing that docket. Except with pleasure, you can't even see it. It's a funny picture that the, the writer, the teacher, gives. Who chases the wind? Just imagine you know, being at your local park, and you see this guy sort of madly running left and right, zigzag, forward and back, and you start asking, what are you, what are you doing? And he says, I'm chasing after the wind. If he said that, you'd think there's something wrong with him. Who chases after the wind? Well, the teacher's saying that's what, it like, that's what it's like to pursue pleasure as the ultimate goal in life. It's like chasing after the wind. You might have heard of this guy, 
His name's Russell Brand. He's an English comedian, sort of an ad hoc spiritualist. He's an author. He's a, um, an activist. And in a short YouTube video, which is very conveniently titled On Chasing Pleasure, he basically says this. I've invested in pleasure and it's transitory. He says here and gone, it's here and gone. And he, he concludes, don't waste your life chasing it. In this short little video by Russell Brand, he, he very much sounds like the wise teacher in Ecclesiastes. I mean, you got to think about it. What brings you pleasure? For me, it's, it's eating a hamburger. I ate a hamburger today and I told myself to enjoy it while I had it. Because I knew it was going to be passing, it was going to be fleeting. You eat it and then it's gone. You've nearly forgotten you had a hamburger. I think more um, sort of obvious for us is, is the much-anticipated holiday. We certainly enjoy a holiday. But before you know it, you're back in your, in your daily sort of week-to-week routine. And that holiday is just a distant memory. As soon as you return to work, it's like you, you were on the holiday a month ago. Pleasure is hebel. It's, it's fleeting. You, you try to grab it, but you just can't. It's like mist and vapor. It's impossible to pin down. So that's the first one under the microscope. The second thing that he examines, building and acquiring things. So chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. This king had it all. It sort of sounds like many of the people who live around us. It's sort of like many of us. The king had it all. He had houses, vineyards, parks, silver, gold. And he didn't not consume anything he wanted to. He consumed everything he wanted. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. And then as clearly as possible, he shares the results. Everything was fleeting. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, that message that the teacher really clearly wants us to hear is the opposite that our society wants to tell us. There are entire industries, so the advertising industry, the marketing industry, that's all about having us believe that if we get this next unnecessary thing, it will make a difference to our life. We get this new iPhone. It'll make a difference to our life. And yeah, they're cool, these little gadgets, but we get it, and soon enough, we realize it made no net difference. They're fun while they last, but it's a chasing after the wind. You sort of can't grab the, the thing that these the, the, the thing that these things promise. You can't grab it. It's like mist and vapor. We all know that retail therapy, you know, when you're feeling down and you spend money, it makes you feel good for a short time. But after a little while, you've forgotten it. You've spent too much money. It's the same with anything. 
that impressive car, the, 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 the unit that you, you sort of desire more than anything. Chasing stuff is chasing after wind. So back to the experiment. The final thing the teacher examines is wisdom. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom. This is verse 12 of chapter 2. And also madness and folly. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? The fact is, the teacher and every one of us here can't escape the great leveler. We can't escape death. That the prospect of death taunts us. No matter how intelligent or wise we become, no matter how much we acquire, no matter how much we achieve in our lives, death sort of taunts us and threatens to make it some total zero. There's a famous poem by Shelley. Uh, the poem is called Ozymandias. And it describes a stone statue in a vast desert. And the stone statue would have been so impressive one day. Immovable. But now, because of the passing of time, the stone statue is left only as a couple of legs on an engraved pedestal. And on the pedestal it says this, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. That's a threat by an ancient king. For anyone who wants to threaten his power, look on my works and despair. But time and death make a mockery of him. He is now left as only a memory and two legs on a pedestal in the middle of the desert. Like I said, Ecclesiastes pulls us by the scruff of the neck and makes us face the reality. This is life. Verse 17, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. The teacher is seeing Hebel. He's seeing mist and vapor everywhere he looks. Everything he tests, it's all fleeting. It's, it's impossible to pin down. And so the results, he concludes, are summed up in verse 22. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All the days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A guy who um, grew up in the 19th century, his name was Harold Hart. He became rich through investing in the stock market. And in a book, his, his business colleague reports a conversation that the business colleague had with this guy called Harold Hart. And I quote, When I arrived, I found him resting in his favorite chair with servants waiting on him hand and foot as he sat there staring into space. Finally, he muttered, Harold Holt, you know, nature's played a great hoax 
on man. You work all your life, you go through endless numbers of struggles, play all the little, little games, and if you're lucky, you finally make it to the top. Well, I made it a long time ago, and you know what? It doesn't mean a thing. I tell you, nature had made a fool of man, and the biggest fool of all is me. Here I sit in poor health, exhausted from years of playing the game, well aware that time is running out, and I keep asking myself, what now, genius? What's your next brilliant move going to be? All that time I spent worrying, manoeuvring, it was all meaningless. Uh, Boris Becker, some of you might have heard of him. He was a, a champion tennis star back in the day. And um, he was a, the youngest player to win Wimbledon. He says, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. Money, cars, women, everything. I know this is a cliche. It's, it's the old song of the movie and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything. And yet they're so unhappy. He says, I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. The teacher of this book is trying to disillusion us, to, to tell us what the illusions really are. That is, they're illusions. You get to the top and there's nothing there. So where does that leave us? The teacher has a conclusion. Verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So where do we stand after hearing all that? After having sort of had our faces pushed against the window of life? Well, the first thing we need to realize, we need to realize that the illusions are illusions. Uh, playwright Oscar Wilde, he wrote this. There are only two tragedies in life. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. And in other words, we can waste our lives chasing after illusions and never realizing that they're illusions. That's a tragedy, according to Oscar Wilde. Or we can get our illusions to only realize that they're illusions. They're mist and vapor. You can't grab them. So the, the teacher is telling us to stop chasing. Like I said before, the book of Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. It's all about helping us be wise in the world. And in wisdom literature, there's always the foolish and the wise. And in Ecclesiastes, the fool is the one who never stops chasing after the wind. He's the guy in the park who's running zigzags across the park. The fool never realizes that spending a life seeking ultimately career, money, power, whatever it is, is a life wasted. Someone who's always chasing what's just around the corner. Someone who's always thinking, I'll be happy if I get this or this. The teacher's saying there's a better way to live. Stop chasing. And as I was wondering, uh, sort of preparing this talk, I was wondering about ambition. What's the role of ambition? Is, is ambition okay to have? Is the teacher saying, you know, ambition's no good? Assuming the ambition is for good things, I think ambition's fine. So for me, I'm ambitious to see many in this area come to Christ. For you, you might be ambitious to be a 
a head teacher or even a principal to influence a school for Jesus' sake. You might want to seek a higher management role to, to, to lead a, an organization with integrity for the sake of Christ. Ambition is a good thing. But it's all about how we go about seeking our ambition. We won't chase after the ambition like fools. Chasing and chasing and chasing, forgetting what's happening in life around us, forgetting all the gifts God gives us. We'll talk about that in a second. The teacher isn't against hard work. He's against frantically chasing after things, like chasing the wind. Instead, the ambitious one will primarily seek what they're seeking, not by chasing, but by asking the giver of good things to give what they seek. Which leads me to my second point. First point, we've got to stop chasing. My second point is this. We've got to start receiving the gifts of God. Stop chasing, start receiving. So verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? This is a conclusion the teacher reaches again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some people read this sort of conclusion as sub-Christian, that, you know, it's sort of the teacher putting up his hands in confusion, saying, well, this is just the best we can do, enjoy our food and, and work. But I don't think that's correct. He's saying that this is the way to live. There's nothing better than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil. We know that food and drink and the work that we all do are gifts from God. The teacher has learned that the fool chases, 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 only to get to the end of life and realize they've missed life, even though they lived it. They've chased the whole time after wind. But the wise, they don't chase illusions. Instead, they receive all the gifts that God gives them, and they receive them as gifts. So the wise don't live frantically, missing all that goes on around them, sort of in pursuit of this thing. They notice God's gifts and they live contentedly or content in the present. They live in the present with thanksgiving. So the wise know that all, all the gifts of God are hebel. They are mist and vapor, but they enjoy them while they have them. So the wise don't live frantically. They live content and with thanksgiving. And the question the teacher wants us to ask ourselves, is that us? Does that describe you? Not living frantically, chasing, 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 but living contentedly and with thanksgiving. So the, the small gifts of God can be as small as enjoying a good orange, a sweet one, not sour. Or as significant as having breath for another day. That's a gift of God. It can be as small as having a good chat with a friend or enjoying a good coffee or having good crispy fresh bread. These are small gifts of God. Or it can be as significant as having another meal on the table. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we characterized by noticing all the small gifts of God? It seems so small, but it's so important. This is all about, this is, this is the root of thanksgiving and contentment. And, and just by the way, we all know that we receive our salvation in Jesus not by striving. 
You don't receive salvation by working, 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 working to please God. That's not how you receive eternal life from God. You receive eternal life as a gift. Here you are. Have it. Receive it by faith. The point is, God is always the giver. And we are always the receiver. And finally, we need to stop chasing. We need to receive the gifts of God. Live in the present. And we need to know this. We need to know this. We need to know that there's an answer to the problem that the teacher couldn't get past. The teacher lived BC, before Christ. And he knew that death was the ultimate taunter, the ultimate enemy. Death threatened to dissolve all meaning from life. Verse 15, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. But then, uh, but then do I, sorry, what then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. I think meaningless is the right word to use there. If all is swallowed up by death in the end, what does anything matter? What, what, why does it matter to be wise? As he says, death taunts us. Now, if you were to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'd watch as the Apostle Paul, because of Jesus and his resurrection, the Apostle Paul taunts death. Death taunts us, but the Apostle Paul taunts death. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he says to death, where, O death, is your victory? You can sort of imagine him sort of, you know, laughing at the same time. Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. We can live our lives now wisely, not chasing, but instead receiving the gifts of God. And we can do that because we know that for anyone who follows the one who has conquered death, for anyone who loves Jesus more than the gifts he gives us, then we can know with certainty that one day he will give us Resurrected bodies in a renewed, non-hebel-like, non-sort-of-mist-and-vapor-like creation. And that's when we'll finally stop being tempted to chase after wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the words in Ecclesiastes, for, for how true they are. We pray that we can receive them. Please help us stop chasing after wind. But Father, please help us receive all your gifts to us, no matter how fleeting they may be in the present. <coughs> Father, we pray that we might live courageously as well in the present. Because we know that in Jesus you have conquered death and we have an eternal hope in a very permanent and non-vapor-like creation. Amen.